Hi, and welcome everybody. Today we have lots of just rapid fire questions so we can go over several topics, not too great into detail, um, but just kind of touching on a few things that you all want to know more about, everything from chlorine exposure to chronic viral infections to what I take post-workout and do I fast uh, for my workouts and um, just a few great things. So we're gonna hang tight and we'll be right back to go over all of these rapid fire questions you had. This is Vibing Well with Dr. Stacy. I am a traditional naturopath who specializes in functional medicine and a holistic approach to healing. I'm taking all of your questions and giving you my advice on how to balance the body, promote a healing mindset, and rediscover your most natural state, which is health and vitality. Thank you so much for joining me, and let's get to your questions. So one of the first topics you all want to learn more about, and I don't think I covered this on my summer podcast, but even if I did, we will go over it, um, how to avoid some of the chlorine exposure um, from swimming pools and that sort of thing. So just some brief little tips and things that you can try to help minimize your exposure are um, there's actually a topical vitamin C spray. This is going to be really great because vitamin C is a wonderful antioxidant that will help our body um, from halogens that are trying to um, invade and mess with our receptors in our cells. So vitamin C spray topically can be amazing. Liposomal vitamin C as well can definitely support um, clearance of these halogens as well. Um, some people also support with glutathione. Of course, you want to talk to your practitioner and make sure that your body and your individual needs are okay to start either vitamin C or glutathione. So look at oxalate levels and things like that. Um, but most everybody can do okay with a lower dose of vitamin C. And you definitely want to go for that liposomal form because it will get into the cells like it needs to. Um, so those are some you know wonderful ways to help minimize that chlorine exposure. You want to be sure that you... Uh, do shower before a pool if possible. And then, like I said, add your barrier of coconut oil or something like that, vitamin C spray. Because when your skin is dry, obviously it's going to absorb more of that chlorine uh, initially the first time you get in. So just some little tips to help mitigate that exposure. So um, another question I had was... Um, about wanting to know what are some of the root causes of chronic yeast infections. So this can be a multitude of different things. It, you know, for it can look so differently for everybody. It's usually based on the pH of the, the vaginal microbiome. So, you know, if you are using harsh cleaners and soaps, that can definitely affect and make you more prone to this. Um, but it definitely has a relationship to pathogens, uh, uses of overuse of antibiotics, which will affect not only your microbiome, but your uh, your vaginal microbiome as well. Um, too much sugar and fermentation will definitely alter um, those sort of things as well. So those are all uh, things you want to kind of look at. Chronic yeast, obviously yeast in the gut, uh, anything that you can do to support gut health. So, you know, getting your gut looked at, looking for imbalances, supporting overgrowth of yeast if, if necessary with some antimicrobials and that sort of thing. And then as far as trying to balance out the pH, some women do fine with just a boric acid um, suppository. So this can help balance out the vaginal pH. 
if that is all that is the cause. So that can definitely be very supportive. Also, ozone suppositories are very helpful too. And even taking that a step further, if you are dealing against some bacteria or something, uh, some other pathogen, um, vaginal insufflation or ozone therapy will be extremely helpful because pathogens hate that pure oxygen and it can really help um, get rid of in finding some balance in that area. So those are some of my favorite things to support while you're getting to the root cause of those infections. So you want to look at the, you know, the pH of the soaps, pH of anything you're putting on your body. Um, And like I said, looking for um, any alterations in the microbiome can also affect your vaginal microbiome as well. So those are some top things that I usually look for and try to support. Um, I got a question about what are some telltale signs that you have parasites? So I talk about this all the time. We all have parasites. It's just a matter of, for one, is our immune system suppressed and they are now out of balance? Um, and or or are do we have more pathogenic uh, parasites and bacteria and things like that than we do beneficial? So it's always about finding that balance with the immune system and with the microbiome. So we all have parasites, but you know, are they? out of range? Are they causing issues? That's the key there. And so a lot of times you'll notice symptoms worsen. So if you see that symptoms are worsening around a full moon, like insomnia, skin problems, um, eye floaters, light sensitivity, um, even recurring viral infections. And we're going to talk about those in a second too. Uh, TMJ, so tooth grinding, um, you know, so you, a lot of people hear the anal itching, um, but that it doesn't always have to be the case, but definitely if it worsens around a full moon, so something to be intuitive of. And, you know, sometimes even uh, behavioral issues like in children, if they worsen around a full moon and that sort of thing can definitely be tied to parasites, um, like I said, being out of balance. So just be cognizant of some of those kind of telltale signs. But even deeper than that, clinically, I would say being low in iron, um, having neurotransmitter issues uh, can definitely uh, kind of pinpoint some parasite issues. Um, and so there's there's always more to the story, but definitely low iron and just overall low nutrient profile can kind of pinpoint um, parasites as well. So those are some things to look for, but more importantly, look for if they're worsening over the full moon. And if so, work with a practitioner to do a parasite cleanse safely because you want to make sure that you're removing them properly after drainage pathways are open and you are moving things out. Otherwise, you're going to feel really sick. Um, and it could be, you know, it could put you in a, in a bad spot because parasites do release things like viruses and heavy metals when you're getting rid of them. So you want to make sure you're on targeted binders, make sure your drainage pathways are open because you don't want to have those detoxy symptoms when you're parasite clearing. So really, really important. Um, someone asked, what could be reasons of malabsorption? So we, we know obviously leaky gut, right? So we're going to lose lots of minerals, lots of vitamins when we have leaky gut. But even further than that, um, I like to tell you what I see clinically. So low stomach acid. If you 
have low stomach acid and we are in this epidemic of people being put on PPIs and acid blockers and, you know, we're taking Tums left and right, Pepto-Bismol, all of these things, um, blocking that stomach acid production. And the thing is, you have to understand when you have heartburn, it's actually a sign that your stomach acid is too low. So this can be caused by H. pylori. It can be caused by alterations, like we said, in the microbiome, uh, refined foods, other pathogens possibly. Those are going to steal our stomach acid or, you know, affect those levels. And then when you don't have enough stomach acid, you don't have enough pressure in the stomach to keep those sphincters closed. And so when those are open, um, then you have that heartburn, that reflux um, syndrome going on. So it's important to make sure you have healthy levels of stomach acid. You don't want to get rid of it because our stomach acid is our first line of defense against any other parasites, bacteria, other things like that. And it helps with our absorption of our minerals and nutrients. It's the first step um, of a digestion in the GI tract. So you want to make sure that you're absorbing and pulling those nutrients out. So oftentimes, one of the very first things I will do is work on building stomach acid levels um, to help with absorption before we even get to the gut because it's just from the top down. So we, um, so other reasons of why you may have malabsorption. So intestinal permeability, we talked about that stress, chronic stress that alone can, uh, make those sphincters open when they're not supposed to open, keep them open and, and make you prone to have heartburn. And also, um, also stress alone can cause gaps in our intestinal lining in our, uh, GI tract. So we want to make sure that we are supporting stress management as a part of our healing um, journey, no matter what. Stress has got to be supported. Um, inflammatory foods, gluten is going to be a top one. That will definitely, um, zonulin, gl- gluten contains zonulin, which is an enzyme that, that creates those gaps in our intestinal lining. Um, and when people are really sensitive to gluten, and there aren't very many people who are not sensitive to American gluten anymore, Uh, you are going to be more at risk to have leaky gut, to be more at risk to have malabsorption. And also you're going to be more likely to cross react. So the body, because this learned response now against gluten, and then it could also have cross reactions against other things like grains. And so that's why when I start people on a low inflammation diet, we're going to cut gluten, we're going to cut grains, anything that could mimic either of those two, we're going to cut because we don't want that learned response, that inflammation response to continue. So that needs to be addressed as well. Another thing that you wouldn't really expect to affect your um, absorption rate, but it's your circadian rhythm. So think about it this way. If you're not able to rest and digest, or if you're always chronically running on stress hormones, then your body is not going to absorb your food. A lot of times it will even cause fermentation because your food is just going to sit in your stomach. Because when you're in that stress mode, digestion takes the back burner. Your survival is what's in the, in the front, in the, you know, top priority uh, to your body when you're running on stress hormones. So optimization is never in their forefront, right? So we start to shut down the systems that are not as vital at that moment. So digestion, um, endocrine system, reproductive system, 
things like that are going to kind of take the back burner. So you're not going to actually sit there and absorb and utilize nutrients and have those enzymatic reactions of the food and make proper energy when you have cortisol and other stress hormones chronically firing. So that is something that needs to happen. So we talked about stress management, but also think about optimizing your circadian rhythm. So what does that mean? Well, cortisol, think about cortisol is being, you know, you have enough of it to feel awake and alert in the morning. It generally rises up mid-morning and then slowly cascades down into the evening and nighttime hours. So you really want to fall asleep during that kind of valley of cortisol when it's at its lowest, so 9.30, 10 p.m. And then you want to wake when it starts to, you know, you want to wake with the sun essentially. So um, as much as you can stick to that, as much as you can expose yourself to sunshine and really get in sync with your um, circadian rhythm and your area and things like that, that will really support things like your stress hormones, inflammation, and support even your nutrient absorption, which is really, really powerful. And it's something everybody can do. You know, it's not out of your hands to start working on that. So um, correcting your sleep rhythm, making sure you're going to bed at a decent time, not staying up all hours of the night, um, and doing what you can to really optimize that sleep is going to be so important. Um, and then overall, like eating hygiene. So we talked about resting and digesting, um, not drinking water 20 minutes before a meal, 20 minutes after a meal. If you have really sensitive digestion, that can really help. Uh, when you just think about when you take a big drink of ice, cold water while you're eating something, it's going to stop and it's going to impede your digestion. So as much as you can keep your digestive fluids hot. If you think about Chinese medicine, they drink hot tea. When they have meals, they keep everything is like of soup in the stomach. And that's kind of what they they call it. So you want to make sure that your digestive enzymes and everything's flowing and everything, you have that heat to break down your food and to absorb those nutrients. So trying to be as true to that as you can is going to be really important. We talked about stomach acid, but supporting digestion with digestive enzymes can be very helpful. I will link to some of my favorites on there. So even if you've done a stomach acid protocol or you have ample stomach acid, um, supporting larger meals with digestive enzymes is going to be really helpful and will help with that nutrient absorption. Um, Like I said, cutting inflammatory foods, so refined foods, um, inflammatory fats, refined sugar, all of those things. And then, of course, like we said, managing your stress. Those are all going to be really, really important when it comes to malabsorption. And they really all have to be addressed because you could do everything right with stomach acid. But if you haven't managed your stress or you are still drinking ice cold water with your meals or something like that, you know, it can really have that cascade effect. So you want to make sure that you're supporting kind of all of those elements to really optimize your digestion because your absorption is only as strong as your digestion is. All right. Another question. So switching topics completely. Um, Can you talk about ridding the body of trauma? So I love this question. It is a really important part of healing, especially if you have quite the history of traumatic events, um, you know, childhood events that have happened, um, you know, something like that. And trauma can look different for everyone. You know, it can be the death of a loved one. It can be, you know, a car accident. It can be it could be anything, you know, what affects one person and is considered trauma can be completely different for the next. And our body as a self-protective mechanism will store 
um, that trauma and that emotion in our tissues. Uh, and you know, if you've ever had a really good massage or a really amazing yoga class, you'll know that this is true because, um, I've been in massage before and I've just like started crying for no reason, um, or come out of a good yoga class and just kind of all over the place, angry, <laughs> crying for no reason, whatever it is, uh, you know, when you get into those, um, storage compartments, so to speak, whenever you have a good release. And it's a good thing, right? We want to get those emotions out because emotions can cause dis-ease in the body. So, you know, some of my favorite ways to support releasing some of this trauma and to help people, uh, to guide them along, you know, what when you have to bring in other professionals and other um, alternatives to help move through some of these traumas. I do like myophagia release therapy, and this is kind of a targeted approach to getting into the fascia and, um, you know, releasing any stored tension. It can, it can release stored toxins. So it definitely is a detoxification practice and then also emotional release as well. Um, I love the emotion code. So emotional freeing technique is really, um, a great, a great thing to learn about and find a practitioner to help with. This is a very gentle release of emotional um, therapy and can be really great for someone who uh, deals with anxiety or, um, you know, separation anxiety or, you know, relationship issues. Or like I said, if you're just in that point in your healing journey and you're not getting all the way, a lot of times there's an emotional component to it. So this can be really great. Uh, DNRS and Gupta, those are the two that I really advocate for. And, you know, it's that learned nervous system response to um, anything that is going to put us in that survival protective mode. So learning how to rewire that and learning to work with your neuroplasticity is going to be so very important because when we let's just say we have a panic attack in a, in a situation. And every time we're in that situation, we have a, a panic attack because it becomes that learned response. Well, the more you can, um, quiet your mind, the more you can start to reprogram and, you know, recenter yourself, then you can learn to change that response. And so that is very valuable. And I find it very helpful in a lot of situations. Um, when people are extremely sensitive to supplements, this can be very helpful. Uh, mast cell activation. This is very, very helpful. Um, histamine responses. And even like I said, anxiety, uh, panic, things like that. The DNRS and Gupta is going to be very helpful for that. A couple other things. So EDMR. So this is a light therapy. It is going to be amazing for um, a lot of people use this for everything from children to uh, adults dealing with PTSD. Um, like I said, anxiety, any sort of nervous system issue. Um, or like I said, if you're having that kind of stagnation in your healing journey, this is going to be a great gentle way to um, support kind of releasing of emotions and trauma. So EDMR, I do really like that. And also somatic breath work. And this is something everybody can do. Um, you can do it in a class form. You can do it at home. Um, but learning how to physically release emotions um, in that regard is going to be very powerful and helpful. So like I said, it can go anywhere from a physical manipulation to um, 
working with light therapy to working with neuroplasticity. It all depends on the person and everybody's going to respond a little bit differently to each one of these, right? So you find the one that resonates with you and the one that you know is getting you the results you need and, and stick with it because they you will get so far. Um, so if you do find that you're at a sticking point, this can be really great to incorporate some of these in. So I love that question. Thank you for that. Okay. So someone wanted to know, so I always post when I go work out early in the morning, I've been a little lazy over the summer cause I don't have to, um, get up and get the kids to school. Like I, um, normally do during school season. So I've given myself a little bit of time to rest and relax, but, um, Still, they want to know if I'm fasting in the morning when I work out. And I am one of those people that now given I, you know, I had a period in my life where I could not work out. I had a period that anytime I would lift a weight, I would be inflamed. If I would go for a walk, I'd be inflamed. So talking about settling that nervous system, filling in nutrient deficiencies, healing the gut, doing everything you can to get your body out of that fight or flight that has to happen first before you're pushing through workouts and getting up early even or even doing a fasted workout, right? Um, It depends on the person. So some people, uh, you know, if you feel like you're getting up early and you feel like you're fatigued throughout your workout or, you know, a few minutes in or you just don't have the energy to go out and do it, Um, you know, you may benefit from having a snack before. I am one of those people that I don't like feeling bogged down. I feel really good when my stomach's empty and I have energy. I have natural waking energy in the morning and I feel great. So I have energy that's sustainable through my workout on most days. Now, there may be some cyclical days in there that, you know, are not ideal. Um, but I'd say three weeks out of the month, I have energy. I feel good. So I do not... Um, I will have minerals. I will definitely have minerals and electrolytes in my water. Um, And I do try to drink a lot of water before and after. So for me, it's more of like a detox, like I'm moving my body, I'm flushing my body, I'm moving my muscles, I'm helping my lymph, I'm helping my circulation, I'm drinking a ton of water before and after, and I'm restoring all of those electrolytes. And I feel amazing after and I don't do pre-workout, I don't drink coffee before. It's just running on natural, clean uh, energy. And so that's ideal if that's where you're at. Um, if, like I said, if you feel like you need some energy before a workout, you know, have something light before you go and, um, you know, support maybe some complex carbs or something like that before your workout. Now women, especially, so this was the second part of the question was, do I take anything right after women, especially? So, you know, when I do my fasted workout, my cortisol is going to be elevated because exercise is a stress, right? And especially if I haven't fed, I haven't cut my cortisol with carbs or anything like that at that point. So I'm very cognizant of that. And I don't want to, I could easily leave the gym and not eat for hours afterwards and feel fine because I'm running on those stress hormones, but that's not ideal, right? Especially women, we have to turn off that stress response um, after a workout and you want to cut that cortisol because think about it this way. Cortisol is catabolic. And when you are trying to build muscle, you have to be in an anabolic state. So the sooner you can switch from you know, catabolism to um, that anabolic state, the better and the more you're going to get out of your workout. So this looks like taking branched chain amino acids. I like a clean protein source that is going to have a full spectrum of amino acids in it. Um, 
And like I said, replenishing minerals and electrolytes and making sure you're having some sort of complex carb because carbs cut cortisol. And then so in making sure you're having plenty of protein, especially post-workout, because you want to rebuild, right? And we need amino acids to rebuild. And we need amino acids to support the mitochondria. So we want to support some of that spent energy that we just had. So be really cognizant of that, especially if you're a woman, um, because we have a lot of more hormones that can be affected by that stress hormone response. And um, like I said, you want to cut that cortisol response as soon as you can after workout. So that's what I do. I usually have a, um, a good amount of protein. I do about 40 grams of protein or so after my workout. And I really support that even even if I'm not if I'm not hungry, I'll do a smoothie with some, you know, nice antioxidant fruits or something like that. I will definitely have a good deal of protein in there and some healthy fats and that sort of thing to help um, cut that cortisol response and to get into more of an anabolic state. So that's the goal. So I hope that helped. Uh, Just be intuitive. You know, what works for me is not going to work the same for you. But women in general, we don't want to push too hard on an empty stomach. Okay, because then you're going to start messing with sex hormones, start down regulating thyroid, and it's just kind of a snowball effect from there. So we don't want to be catabolic anymore after that initial stress of the workout. So that's the goal. All right. So speaking of down regulating thyroid, what are the markers I need to get a comprehensive look at my thyroid? So bare minimum, and this is probably what you're going to get if you ask um, conventional for testing, because most of the time they're just going to look at TSH. Sometimes you'll be lucky if they look at free T3 and free T4. So yes, I'm going to recommend that you do look at your TSH and free T4 and free T3. But I also think it's beneficial to look at your reverse T3 because if you are having a buildup of your reverse T3, then those are going to bind to your thyroid receptors and downregulate your thyroid. So you can pump your body full of all of the hormone you want to, but if it's you know, clogged up from this reverse T3, then you're still not getting the signal. So that's going to cause your TSH to elevate. So that's something to be really cognizant of. Um, Two forms of thyroid antibodies, you're going to definitely look at that. Um, And so that's, that's like the baseline. That's what I would at least ask for. So your RT3, your free T4, your free T3, and then your TSH, bare minimum. You can look even further. Um, I always run a hair tissue mineral analysis test to look at really important cofactors for thyroid, look at mineral levels, look at the actual load of stress on the thyroid and adrenals from that. Uh, And you can tell that by the depletion of your minerals or the ratio levels of your minerals. It's quite amazing. So looking at things like magnesium, potassium, uh, sodium, things like that, those are going to be really important on a hair test because it's going to give you three months trend of these minerals and not just a tiny blood prick in the day. Um, Looking at Running a Dutch test can be very beneficial because thyroid and sex hormones definitely up and down regulate each other. Um, Looking at cortisol levels as well on a Dutch test will really help. So improving that circadian rhythm is going to be very helpful. Looking at things like B vitamins and vitamin D as well is also going to be helpful. Um, I look at all of these through a organic acid test. Um, between that and the Dutch and the hair tissue mi- mineral analysis test, that's going to give me a lot of good insight as to why your th- 
is downregulated. And the hair tissue mineral analysis test is also going to look at heavy metals, which once again, another thing that's going to be competing, we talked about halogens, um, they're going to be competing at your receptor sites for not only thyroid hormone, but also things like iodine. So, you know, displacing iodine is what heavy metals do. And so that's a very, um, the main cofactor for thyroid. So if that's low, then you're of course going to have low thyroid. So important to look at all of those things when you're considering why you might be hyper or hypothyroid because the body thyroid to me is always a symptom of something bigger. So it's a symptom of stress in the body. So locating what that stress is, whether it's a nutrient deficiency, whether it's a heavy metal toxicity or a parasite stealing your nutrients, even uh, looking for that root cause is always going to be pivotal to getting to the root of why you have that thyroid issue. Like I said, taking in synthetic hormone is not going to um, be the same. And when you think about thyroid, well, most of it's activated in the liver and in the gut. So if you are supporting the liver and you're supporting the gut, a lot of times those thyroid issues are going to regulate. So with that being said, let's talk about, um, someone wanted to know what would be the root cause of chronic viral infections? So I really like this question. It has a lot to do with what we were already kind of talking about because a lot of times when you have a chronic viral Uh, infection like, let's just say shingles, or even something as minimal as cold sores, which is a herpes variant. Um, It's a sign of the immune system being suppressed. So this is often by something like mold parasites. And we talked about parasites. Um, They release uh, retroviruses and things like heavy metals and, and other things like that. So some of the root causes of viral infection are, of course, anything that's going to suppress that immune system. So even thinking of medications and steroids, those are all going to be causing that imbalance in the immune system and making you more prone to having that chronic response or that chronic re-triggering of the, the virus that probably is just laying there dormant until it's going to be reactivated by a stressor in the body. Another thing is when you're referring specifically to shingles, the chickenpox vaccine is definitely going to make shingles more of a prominent thing because chickenpox is one of those viruses that is going to be a booster for shingles downstream. So this generation of children who are getting this chickenpox vaccine are going to be more likely to get shingles um, as they, you know, are they are now they've suppressed that uh, condition, that acute condition. And, and now they're going to have more of that, um, likelihood of getting shingles downstream and, and even our generation. So if we had, um, the chicken pox vaccine and our children have it as well, then, then they cannot be the booster for us because they could be our antibody booster if they actually got chicken pox themselves. But if they're getting the vaccine, then we are also going to be more likely to get shingles. So it's kind of this, uh, snowball effect, Um, When you suppress an acute sickness like that, a lot of times you're also going to be more at risk for a chronic condition later. So when you have shingles, you're going to be more likely to have it recurringly. So that's kind of how that works. Um, So when you're talking about that specifically, because they did mention shingles, that can definitely be a role in that. So um, what um, another cause of you know, frequent viral, of course, anytime you're thinking about suppression of the immune system, you're thinking standard American diet. And even I would even go go so far as to say standard American lifestyle. 
um, just because of the whole uh, stress, the whole toxin load, the, you know, being available 24 seven, um, running on food like products, all of those things definitely suppress the immune system and are going to make you more likely to not be able to really get over a viral infection. And so it's just going to be, like I said, staying there dormant and just reactivating over and over again. So uh, as far as treatment goes, of course, parasite clearing is going to be a huge part of that, uh, especially for the people, like I said, with the recurring herpes-like conditions and uh, shingles and things like that. Stress reduction is going to be a huge one, supporting the immune system, uh, antioxidants, you know, reducing oxidative stress, EMF exposure, blue light exposure, all of those things um, are added stress on the body and the immune system, nutrient deficiencies, um, you know, drinking clean water and eating clean food. So organic food, drinking very clean and structured water is going to be really important. We're going to talk about structured water in just a second here. Um, Anything, like I said, that could downregulate the immune system, steroids, medications, things like that need need to be taken into consideration when you have that frequent uh, viral infection. So something to think about when you're having uh, a recurring virus over and over again. Those are all things that can help you support that. And it's all about finding that balance in the immune system. Because when you have something like parasites, it's going to downregulate TH1, which is going to be more likely to downregulate any acute illnesses coming in. So when you have, so when you're constantly being suppressed like mold or parasites or something like that, then you don't have a powerful response to anything acute that's coming on, like a viral infection or a bacterial infection, because you have that chronic suppression going on. So that's just something to consider. So think about what your all over load is as far as your microbiome, uh, your virome, which is your, you know, the viruses in your body, we have good and bad and beneficial and pathogenic. So you definitely want to think about your potential balance and things that could be causing that imbalance in your immune system. So, um, okay, last topic is what is structured water and how do you structure your water? So, The whole concept of structured water was discovered by Gerald Pollack. And what he did was he really looked at water and how it behaved um, around different types of tissues. And when water is around hydrophilic, so water-loving tissues, it structured itself in a different way. And so his idea was, you know, conventional water, how it sits in pipes and it has been run through, of course, man-made systems to clean, you know, quote unquote, clean the water and all of those things, um, it's lost its structure. So the idea is to provide that structure so that our cells have more ability to have that hydrophilic response and they will be able to be more compatible with water that is actually structured. So structured water is actually what our organic fruits and vegetables are full of. And so that is, you know, our body is going to be, we talked about absorption issues and things like that. Our body is going to be way more um, biochemically available to absorb the minerals and nutrients out of something that has contained structured water, like those things. So this is the idea of, and I'm sure you're hearing more of it, is what about, what if we drink structured water too? Could we hydrate our cells Um, better on that cellular level. And so 
in studying this, you know, they they realized that structured water, you know, with a negative charge does have more of an energy potential. So for us, we could energize ourselves better by um, incorporating structured water in our drinking supply. And then, of course, more of that in our food supply. So that's, you know, one reason why the whole refined food product um, conundrum is just it's causing more and more um, nutrient deficiencies, malabsorption issues and things like that. So that's kind of the the really short preview breakdown of what structured water is. You could you really should uh, read the fourth phase of water, and um, you know do listen to podcasts and things like that of him talking because it's it's a very scientific process and it's really amazing to learn more about. But just for you on this quick show, how do we structure our water? So obviously, you know there's already structured water in organic things like fruits and vegetables, organic fruits and vegetables, right? Because they haven't been altered. Uh, so that's one one way that we can get structured water in. But there are also other ways that you can structure water. Um, adding trace minerals will definitely help with that structure. Um, using things like the Soma Vedic, which is a harmonizer that can definitely structure the water and it's proven to um, as well. And then also an aerator. So I use the Mayu water swirler, which is so amazing. And you can really taste the difference in um, the airiness, I guess, of the water. Um, my kids call it fluffy water. Um, it's so cute, but it's that's really how I would describe it too. It um, just feels really light and you can tell you do feel a deeper level of hydration with it. Um, so I do both. I add minerals and I also use the water swirler as much as I can. Um, so it is really important and it is important to make sure hydration is at the top of our list because dehydration is linked to so many of our chronic illnesses and, you know, it does impair our detoxification. It does impair things like our metabolism and things like that when we are chronically dehydrated. So staying on top of that and then making sure you're always adding minerals to your water, um, and electrolytes if you sweat a lot. And if you're deficient in minerals and things like that, making sure you're always adding those back in because if you're just drinking plain water, when the water goes through you, it's taking minerals with it, right? So you want to drink water that already has minerals in it so you can not only replace, but make sure that the water's not pulling the minerals out as it goes. And if you like, if you start drinking the amount of water you should have and you feel like you have to go to the bathroom every five to 10 minutes, it seems, then you are losing minerals. So make sure that you are adding salt, adding minerals, adding electrolytes into your water, um, especially those that you may be deficient in to um, help restore those mineral levels and make sure that you aren't becoming more dehydrated. So that is kind of how that goes. But um So anyways, the whole structured water, that's basically what it is. It's just trying to get your cells hydrated on a better level by mimicking the structure that is in the body tissues, I guess. So I hope that explains it a little bit. We can talk way more about it, but it's better to hear straight from him talk about it because he knows all the science behind it. Um, That's just what I do for structured water. So I hope that helps. This has been really fun. I like having just like a little, you know, tidbit of information for each of these topics that you guys want to know about. So I appreciate your questions so much. I am definitely going to save a few of those questions for another time because they are just such more in-depth questions like endometriosis and the effects of alcohol. I'm going to do a whole show on that coming up soon. So if you do have any questions specifically on either of those two topics, do shoot me either a message on Instagram at dr.stacy.nd. 
um, or email me at vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. So endometriosis and also alcohol and the effects of alcohol. So we'll be talking about those two things coming up soon. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my take on all things health and healing. If you do have a question you would like answered on the show, please do email me at vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. That's vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. I will post links in the show notes of anything that was relevant to what we talked about today. But other than that, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Happy healing. And I will talk to you next time.